Hello and welcome to the Performance Through Health podcast. We aim to inspire and educate our listeners through engaging conversations on all things health and fitness, mindset, business and philosophy. My name is Martin McPhillamy and I'm your host and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Just finished recording a episode with Nick Heath, the breathing diabetic, all on breathing and how that has impacted and changed his life as a type one diabetic. And we delve into many topics, his principles. There's a lot of advice in there that is not just valuable for people with diabetes, although it could be life changing for those individuals, but valuable for everyone. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Subscribe below. Um, I appreciate Nick for coming on and leave us some comments or reviews. Love to hear from you. Uh, uh, thanks, Nick. Thanks for for jumping on the uh, the podcast today. I've actually just signed up to your four hundred one um, email subscriber list because it's you're putting out such great creative and scientific content, and I'm like, okay, I'd be happy to get this to my email. Uh, how often weekly? Yep. Yep. Uh, every Monday. So I appreciate you signing up. Cool. Every stuff. Monday. No, no. So if you wanted to just basically, you know, you're, you're AKA the breathing diabetic, um, whereabouts did that come from and you know, what's, what spurred you to get into breathing? Yeah. So, uh, so I was, I'm a type one diabetic. I was diagnosed when I was 11 years old, so I'm 34 now. So it's been quite a long time. Around age, so I, I kind of just followed standard things. I was a kid, you know, I went to college. I, you know, didn't care about my health at all. But it was when I was uh, starting my master's degree that I was given a book about uh, diet, actually, that made me realize, oh, I can actually do things to control my blood sugar. So anyone with type 1 diabetes will tell you it's a nonstop, insane amount of work. You feel like nothing you do matters a lot of times. It's, it's pretty defeating a lot of times. And so when I got this book, I read it, I started eating differently. I found these green things called vegetables and there's <laughs> fruits out there and all these things college kids don't know about. And I, my blood sugars got a lot better. So I started to get into this idea of I can do things for myself that will help my diabetes. Fast forward a couple of years, um, some things. So I lost my sister to cancer and that kind of opened me up to a world of spiritual out spirituality a little bit you know like what's the purpose of living uh you know if, if we die so young and things like that and so i think that kind of opened my mind to different approaches at that point and then mr wim hoff comes along and, and he's uh, just a charismatic uh you know brilliant person and so he got me interested in breathing so that's how i got started with breathing was wim hoff when i, I guess it was around 2015 early 2016 i started with the wim hoff method got really into it, but I, I started becoming, and not to the fault of the Wim Hof method, but I became a habitual mouth breather. Um, yep. I just thought all the time I should be, anytime I felt low on energy, I would breathe more, which now I know was incorrect and it was causing the, the drowsiness. And I became chronically fatigued where I was like always tired, just always looking for a nap. And then eventually I, I stumbled across Patrick McCown, the founder of the Oxygen Advantage. And he started talking about the science of breathing and how all of these these practices he was recommending in this podcast were backed by science. And so, uh, as a little bit of background, I'm a I'm a meteorologist, so I'm an atmospheric scientist by training. That's what my my, my formal education then is in. So I read papers, and I'm always doing research. And so 
I kind of separated this side of my life from science. So I was kind of like, this is my spiritual, my little own thing mm-hmm. I'm doing on the side. So when I heard there was actually science behind this, I started practicing it. Uh, I noticed it, pretty crazy improvements in my blood sugars. And that led me to say, well, how is this possible? How is something so simple as breathing going to impact my blood sugars to where my energy levels, all these things. So I, you know, I just started out on Google scholar, started finding things. And it turned out that there was tons of references for everything I was experiencing. And I thought, you know, this is insane that all of this information is right here, but no one's ever told me, no one seems to know about breathing. Uh, Obviously, once you get on social media, you find out a lot of people do, uh, but it just seemed crazy to me. So that's how the breathing diabetic started. I decided I need to just share this information uh, started a website, had no clue what I was doing, and I just <laughs> have been doing it ever since. Awesome. I just, I've just actually been scrolling through your website. It's very well written. It's very like, it looks like it's very scientific as well. I love, I love the layout and how it's. Oh, like, thank it, you. you. Um, there's a few things that I wanted to kind of touch on that you mentioned in your story about your, as soon as once you finish the Wim Hof, obviously become the habitual mouth breather. And then mm. you started to tape your mouth up uh, at nighttime. That's when you notice a huge change in your energy. Can you remember how much an impact that had on your, um, on your, on your blood sugars at that period, just, just from that, because when I was doing my scientific training, um, I did a, a pilot study looking at the prevalence of, um, sleep disorder breathing in type one diabetes and okay. looked, looked at the continuous glucose monitors. This is going back maybe 12 years now. So they weren't that great at that time, but I had some amazing case studies where blood sugars were changing dramatically after insulin injections, um, uh, fast acting insulin injections at nighttime. And I had a bit of a hypothesis that might be to do with um, mouth breathing changes in leptin to do with insulin. Did that, did, can you remember whether you had any uh, significant changes with there? And do you think those are potentially, you may have had some sleep disorder breathing from your mouth breathing at that, per- at that period? Certainly. So I can't say for sure I had sleep disordered breathing. Obviously, uh, a lot of people do. It's such a kind of a catch-all term that I don't know. Yeah, I I certainly feel like I did. No, Mm -hmm. No studies to back it up. But I did notice a huge improvement in my blood sugars from just that one change. And it's kind of, there's so many complex interactions. You just kind of hinted at some of them with leptin and a lot of things I don't understand. But um, for example, just the fact that when I slept so much deeper, I had so much more energy during the day that I was able to find the willpower to manage my blood sugars. You know, it's like, you can't really quantify that, but it was, it was like, oh my gosh, I had the strength to go test more, to take my insulin when I'm supposed to, to not get so down when my blood sugars go up or down. And so there's a, there's a a host of things, but I don't have the precise numbers because when I started taping my mouth at night, I also started the oxygen advantage protocols with the walking breath holds, slow breathing. So just that one change, I can't quantify, but I do know that my blood sugars dropped pretty, it was kind of scary how low I was getting a lot. I had to reduce my insulin a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think at the, so my HbA1c had dropped down into the, into the low fives, which is okay. really low for me, like 5.3%, I believe, which it, it probably wasn't the healthiest way to do it. Cause I was getting low a lot because I was learning, I was adjusting, but that's what kind of signaled to me. Oh my gosh, this stuff works. And I think with sleep in particular, the most important thing 
that I've noticed is insulin sensitivity. So you know better than anyone that one night of poor sleep is going to impact insulin sensitivity. And so if, if you get deeper sleep, you're going to restore insulin sensitivity. And for a diabetic, that's huge for your whole day ahead. So uh, sleep has been a big one. I'm still not a perfect sleeper. So I hate, I don't want to act like I'm, you know, a baby for nine hours a night or anything, but it, it has been the biggest change in my life has been taping my mouth and getting better sleep has led to everything else that I've done. Yeah. That, that is the, yeah. There's a, I mean, there's a lot of research coming out now. Uh, the specifically in type two diabetes is why I wanted to try and look into type one diabetes because I know the mechanisms of insulin sensitivity are you know, they're the same physiologically in the body. The, the, the disease state is different, or the etiology of the disease state is very is very different. Um, and I think the prevalence of uh, obstructive sleep apnea in type one diabetics was between twenty six and forty percent, which is one in between one and two one in one in four uh people with type 1 diabetes and it's not even it's not even being investigated as a first line kind of uh you know you once you've been diagnosed okay hey we should we should be screening you for some kind of uh, sleep disorder breathing at nighttime when it's that high i think people should and like you touched on with the uh the energy levels that you have so you've got the motivation to be able to go with your in, get your insulin protocols right to get your exercise in to to actually want to feel healthy as as well as the other mechanisms on the the nervous system side um which i'll let you touch on so what, what have you discovered through your science with um uh, i guess the breathing that you've managed to implement the the, the better sleep how is that uh, what is that doing in the nervous system and how is that managing your, 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 in, uh, your, in, uh, your blood levels, uh, blood sugars better? Yeah. So that's, uh, that's the biggest component that I found actually research on for diabetes is the nervous system and basically just balancing the nervous system. So, you know, we have the sympathetic branch, which is the fight or flight, and then the parasympathetic branch, which is the calming rest and digest. And so uh, with sleep, with everything diabetics seem to have a higher sympathetic tone. So if you measure our sympathetic tone overnight, it's going to be higher than a non-diabetics. And that's simply because we're under a chronic stressor of, di of, of blood sugar fluctuations, of insulin resistance, of emotional stress due to the fact that we're dealing with all of this. And so it's kind of this, this bombardment of different stressors, and it leads to chronic sympathetic activation, which leads to over breathing, which leads to a lot of things. And so when you sit down and you, you take some time to breathe slowly, uh, say five to six breaths per minute for a few minutes a day, it immediately flips the switch and activates the parasympathetic nervous system. So most of the studies I found with diabetes type one and type two, it's just two minutes of something like slow breathing at six breaths per minute. And they see remarkable improvements in heart rate variability. So that's kind of one of these catch-all measurements for parasympathetic tone, for resiliency. They see improvements in baroreflex sensitivity, which is another marker of autonomic function and, and a healthy cardiovascular system. And, and so basically, though, I guess the, the big point is that it just it, it brings you back into balance. It, it quiets, quiets down that sympathetic overactivation due to the diabetes and it ramps up that restoring regenerative parasympathetic nervous system and that has widespread benefits and and that's why i think it's, sometimes it's hard to quantify all the great things it, it almost i i say this a lot i feel like a used car salesman because when you start to look into like what does vagal nerve stimulation do 
it does a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And you go down these rabbit holes of like, well, if I can do that with my breathing and that, and it does this. And so you can go down all these rabbit holes with diabetes specifically and, and find out that it's going to help restore insulin sensitivity. It's going to help reduce stress and anxiety. It's going to help with, you know, sleep apnea and things like that. And so by simply just breathing slowly through the nose, you can get a ton of benefits for the nervous system. Yeah, I've just um, finished re- reading a couple of papers coming out of the uh, Western University of Western Australia. They haven't been published yet, but they're a part of a PhD um, thesis, and they were put okay. on public- publicly online. And a lot of it was looking at uh, state anxiety, trade anxiety, uh, and CO two tolerance. So in- inhalation of CO two and how that can Im- impact it, and looking at breathing patterns and and the sort of things. But one of the things it touched on was looking at a different mechanism to measure vagus nerve activity so obviously the main one we use now is heart rate variability but there's so many confounding uh variables that can can cause those changes whereas they're looking at a valsalva maneuver so a quick kind of squeeze 15 second hold at your full inspiration then when relaxing and you get like this at the very end you get a kind of overcompensation of the vagus nerve trying to bring blood pressure down because you've increased blood pressure, you've mm-hmm. increased heart rates and you've caused vasoconstriction to prevent you know, the damage to the vessels. And that is a good indicator of the barrel reflex sensitivity. And what they were suggesting is that the people who have high levels of anxiety um, were actually had a lower kind of uh, change in this, had, had a less sensitive barrel reflex from the Valsalva maneuver. So it's like a new technique that they can actually now look at, which doesn't have all these confounding impacts like like the heart, heart rate variability. So I'm fascinated to see where that where that goes. I'll send you the link to the the paper so you can have a read yourself. But um, yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, that's, I wanted that's to... one of the biggest. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go, go on. Go on. Go on. Go on. What were you going to say about no, that? No, I was going to say that's one of the biggest problems with like heart rate variability and barrel reflex sensitivity is there are these confounding factors. And if you look at heart rate variability, there's like a hundred ways to measure it. With barrel reflex sensitivity, there's all these different ways. And a lot of times they do all of them and then just do some sort of statistical way of saying this is the average of the six or seven different methods. So yeah, I'm really fascinated to hear if there's kind of a, a one way of doing it that kind of encompasses all of that with with a little less uncertainty so yeah that'd be awesome yeah i'll send it across to you so you you, you touched on the, you know, the majority of the research suggests you maybe you only need to do two or three minutes a day and uh, I, I not long out put a post out where um, a lot of people think you, know, you have to sit and breathe for 10 20 minutes it's going to take up so much of my time or they get bored and you know when you're trying to introduce this but you've just said there's a small period time period which can have a, a big impact and you know we can you could just split this out through the day whenever you get the period but what i want to ask you is there any specific times that you do breathe in say to help with manage with your with your uh, blood glucose um, is it post exercise post feed before bed what what sort of things do you do you take any of that into account yes certainly so i have two or one that's non-negotiable and that's my morning first thing when I wake up, I do, I actually do 15 minutes, uh, but I've built into that. So I don't, I, I don't like to scare people with what I do now. Cause I, I do a lot of different things, but I've gradually built myself up. But so 15 minutes, first thing in the morning, and that's just slow breathing. Uh, usually for me, it's about four breaths per minute. That's what I found to be kind of my sweet spot for both feeling good. So it, it helps me feel relaxed. Plus my heart rate variability is, is maximized. Um, and so it's usually around a six second inhale and an eight to nine second exhale. So that's my morning start. 
and that kind of just sets me up for a better day uh, from all of my diabetes, from all of my stress, anything else that's going to hit me. I also do a uh, post-lunch. I try to do between two to five minutes of slow breathing. So just like you were saying, kind of little increments spread out through the day. And I found this is really good for that post, uh, post-meal post glucose spike that we see in everyone really, but especially in diabetics, if you don't time your insulin dosing right and all of that. So I usually pretty much, I eat my meal, I wash my dishes, and then I go do my, my breathing. And that seems to be a kind of a perfect time to help bring that down a little bit. And that's only because I've read a, just one or two papers showing that slow diaphragmatic breathing after a meal can reduce the spike in blood glucose. Now, it seems like the area under the curve is about the same. So you're getting about the same, but you're, you're, you're getting rid of that big initial spike and you're kind of spreading it out over a longer time. And that seems to be really good for my blood sugars. And then I also do a, a, a pre-bedtime, uh, usually again, maybe just five minutes of slow breathing. And this time I do a one to two ratio, usually five seconds in, 10 seconds out just for that more calming parasympathetic response to set myself up for a better night of sleep. And then I, I dabble in a lot of things during the day that I won't uh, breath hold practices and things like that, depending on what I'm training for, what my objectives yep. are at this point in my life. But those are the three main practices I try to be consistent on. Okay. No, awesome. That make, it makes perfect sense of both um, uh, practically and scientifically, you know, you've managed to integrate those in. And like, like you said, don't, you know, don't, if people are going to listen to this, don't be scared about having to do 15 minutes straight away. Just start at, start at the two minutes at, that's right. these these particular points and just work your way up from there right. so you you did touch on um that you do you do breath holds and uh you know i know that you also put a caution out that breath holds uh they're not for everyone and they're not something that you should do all the time or, or at least potentially is there any difference between say uh uh someone and someone a non-diabetic versus a diabetic in, in the I guess the amount of breath holds or putting breath holds into their life, whether there is a difference that you have, uh, have read about or, um, or what's your opinion on them at all? Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a tough question, I guess, from a scientific standpoint, I haven't found any, so intermittent hypoxia training is used quite a bit with diabetics and it's shown really good improvements with things like autonomic function and with insulin sensitivity. So there are benefits for diabetics and, and I've certainly noticed them myself, but when it comes to breath hold training, although you achieve the similar, you know, the same effect of lowering blood oxygen saturation, it's a lot more of a stressor because a lot of these the studies usually take people, put them in a mask and they breathe air with less oxygen and it's not too stressful. They can just sit there, relax, and they're getting the benefits of reduced oxygen. Whereas when you go out and hold your breath, it's a, it's a stressor. So with diabetics, the, the main thing I try to, to advise is take it really easy. Just like with the two minutes a day of slow breathing, start really small because there's a, there's kind of this sweet spot of getting the the drop in oxygen saturation without the huge spike in stress. And that's kind of what we're trying to balance here. Diabetics are under a ton of stress. We've already mentioned that I've mentioned it a few times. So we want to see, we don't want to add more stress to it. So it's kind of finding a nice balance of, can you drop your blood oxygen saturation using something like a pulse oximeter to monitor yourself while not overdoing it and, you know, leading to a really strong heart rate afterward, or, you know, just a feeling of anxiety afterward. So it's gradual. Um, and, and that's kind of, the, I guess, the, the easiest way to do it. Of course, I 
recommend doing it with a coach. You don't want to go out and hurt yourself. Diabetics have a few other things we have to worry about. Um, for some people, the the blood uh, holding your breath can drop your blood sugar uh, pretty quickly. For others, the stress response takes over and your blood sugar goes up a little bit more. Um, and so these are all kind of personal things that the, each individual will know. Like, for example, I know if I go do a high intensity exercise, my blood sugar goes way up, even though I'm exercising. And it's just the stress, you know, the stress hormones are going to increase my blood sugar for whereas another person might drop. So these are all things each diabetic would have to take into account for themselves and kind of learn their own body. But yeah, there's a lot of uh, interesting benefits from doing it. So it's, it's definitely worth looking into, but I consider it icing on the cake, kind of like get everything else right and then try some breath holds. Yeah, excellent. No, thank you. Um, and I want to come back. I've got a question, but I do want to come back to getting everything else right because that's such a significant part. And I know, you know you've got the persona of the breathing diabetic, but I imagine there's so much more to it than just the breathing. And I don't want people to have that frame of that. Um, but I wanted to touch yeah. on, you've mentioned that you measure your heart rate variability, SpO2, um, and your blood sugars. What sort of te technology are you using to, to, to monitor these things? Okay. Yeah. So heart rate variability, I'm using elite HRV and it's actually a, a finger monitor. Uh, it looks kind of like a pulse oximeter, a little bit bigger, bigger and bulkier, but uh, I love it. Uh, made it, you know, I was never into the, the, the chest straps and things. And so I would kind of stayed away from it. And, and so when I found out elite HRV had this finger one, I bought it, I think it's like 165 bucks or something, not too expensive. And uh, you hook it up to a phone app and you can do some biofeedback. What I what I basically do is uh, I measure it during my breathing, go back and analyze it. And I did this for probably a three or four week period, trying a bunch of different rates. And then once I found the ideal one around, like I just, I mentioned earlier, six seconds in, eight or nine seconds out, I stuck with that. So that's HRV uh, for, uh, I just use a finger pulse oximeter for blood oxygen saturation. I'm using a Nonin uh, or Nonin. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm pronouncing they're, right. They're the, they're the best brands. Yeah. Yeah. So Patrick McCown, you know, he kind of recommended th these are one of the better ones. I've had them for three, at least three years now. Uh, and, and they still go strong with a couple battery changes here and there. So uh, that's what I'm using for that. And then I'm actually so most people are, are really surprised to hear I'm ancient when it comes to diabetes. So I used to be on an insulin pump and all that stuff, but I got kind of, well, it's a long story, but anyways, I ended up going back to shots, uh, okay. insulin shots. And, and I loved it. This was about, let's see, almost three years ago It was just before my daughter was born. And I, and I, so yeah, about three years ago, I went back to shots and it was supposed to be a one week thing, just like in between this insurance issue. And it was like, Oh, I'm just going to figure, I just got to figure it out for a week. It'll be fine. And I just loved it. So my blood sugars aren't in as great of control as they used to be, but my life quality has gone up so significantly that I don't even care. <laughs> it's yeah. like, uh, so, and, and breathing has helped me get that. Uh, and I, not just breathing, like you just mentioned, there's a lot of other things I do, but uh, but it's, it's really nice to, to not be wired into anything anymore. I test my blood sugar with a normal tester. I take shots, you know, five or six times a day. It's, it's nice. Yeah. So you've looked at the risk reward ratio and the reward is just a, a lot more significant than the, than the risks that knowing yes. that you, uh, you're able to control your blood sugar through the habits that you've built up. So what That's sort right. of, and, and gone. 
Well, I just want to say, yeah, I have a very structured life. So I don't want to say what I do is right for, for a lot of diabetics. They need a continuous glucose monitor and a pump. And again, each person's different. So for me, I would be staring at that thing all day long, stressing myself out over every blood glucose spike. So not seeing it is, is better for me. So yeah, yeah. that's, that's, I just it's want to make that point. It might be much better for your mental health, wouldn't it? If you, if That's you right. are, it's, it's, it's almost like, um, uh, I can't remember the term, but there's a new term now for people who get obsessed with sleep technology, like the aura rings and they wake, they wake up in the middle of the night and they're checking it out. They wake up first thing That's in the morning, right. how much deep sleep have I got? And they get stressed over it and then they get too stressed right. and then they all of a sudden they get insomnia. It's like, okay, well, let's just remove that from you. It's almost like that. <laughs> no, it's exactly. And, uh, you just nailed it because that's I'm a, one of these kind of type A persons. And so if I have it, I'm going to be staring at it. And I, do, I try to stay away from all of it now because it becomes obsessive. And it's like, yeah, quality of life. You have to take into account, what am I doing this for? And if, if you're doing it for better health and it's causing you more stress, then you're defeating your own goal. And, and sometimes I do that with breathing even. So, you know, I have to keep that in mind. And that's why uh, I do try to be very practical and kind of have fun with it as you see on Instagram. Cause I try to keep myself grounded and this is just, you know, let's have fun with it and not take it too seriously or else you're going to go off the deep end and it'll end up ruining your health, you know? Oh, definitely. I think it's, uh, you know, Robert Sapolsky, he's the guy is like, if you, if you're forced to do something that's going to cause you to do distress stress, it can actually remove the benefit from actually doing it itself. Right. That's right. So there's, if you're, if you're going to sit down for 10 minutes and try and breathe and you're just getting wound up because you just don't want to, then maybe it's not the right choice at that time. And maybe it's come back right. to it when you might be in a bit more of a, a more relaxed state to do it. So, um, you touched on that you have a more structured life. Like what I'd like to hear some of more of the habits away from breathing that you've had to ingrain into your life to, to ensure, um, you know, healthy blood sugars. Yeah. So I, I do, uh, a big part of it is just eating decently. Again, I'm, I try to be decent at a lot of things, I guess I'm not perfect, but just eat whole foods. Um, you know, I, I don't eat much processed food at all. Uh, I started out on a paleo diet. That's kind of what got me into the whole thing was uh, the paleo movement and, and seeing improvements in my blood sugars. But that's that's tapered off a lot now. It's just kind of like eat eat the best I can with, with what I have at the grocery store. Uh, again, if it caused me stress trying to find a farmer's market every weekend, it's defeating the purpose. And so uh, I just uh, eat you know a lot of vegetables, a little bit of meat, a little bit of fruit, some nuts, um, and, and that's basically it. Um, so, so diet's a big one for me. Exercise, uh, another big one. So I, I try to walk a lot. That's my favorite form of exercise. I can listen to books and, and walk around. So that's my, uh, my go-to. So a lot of walking, uh, you know, I, I do push-ups and squats uh, intermittently throughout the day and pull-ups throughout the day. I work from home. So I just keep a pull-up bar outside my office so that every time I walk out, I need to do one or do something, do some push-ups every time I use the restroom or get some coffee. So little bit, little bits of exercise sprinkled in. I found for me is like I, I mentioned earlier, when I do intense workouts, my blood sugars go up. So if I do more moderate exercise throughout the day, I find that helps me tremendously with, with my blood sugars. Obviously sleep, if I, if I can get my sleep dialed in when it's dialed in, that's the best thing I can do for my blood sugars. Again, 
I still haven't, I live a normal life like everybody. So I deal with the same stressors. I have a baby. There's all sorts of things where that mess with your sleep, but I, I try to prioritize that and, uh, and keep that structured as, as much as I can. So I guess reading, I mean, I, you know, reading for me is just like a calming thing. So it kind of takes my, I love to just sit down and read. So anytime I can read, that's a, that it seems weird for a, a, a habit for blood sugars, but it's kind of my stress reliever to just kind of sit down, enjoy a book. And, and that's one of my favorite things to do. So yeah, that's kind of the, the big ones, uh, the kind yeah. of the standard, you know, uh, I try to sauna, yeah. a cold okay. shower. All, yeah, I do. I do cold shower every day. Uh, that Wim Hof got me on that. I live in Florida. So cold, eh, you know, most people would laugh at me, but at least there's a contrast, right? That I do, it does feel cooler than it did. I have a little uh, sauna space, infrared sauna in my living room. I try to get in that a few times a week. Uh, and that's that's a you know a life changer <laughs> I, yeah yeah i'm very fortunate that i that to have that thing that oh, lost my mic um so yeah th- those are some of the other ones i work on yeah okay uh, so that's obviously uh majority of that is just uh, you know it's, it's standard information that everybody right. should be taking everybody not, not right. just diabetes <laughs> diabetics it should be everybody should be taking in that information to to have a have a healthy lifestyle but obviously for yourself it's uh, there's more risk to not live in that sort of lifestyle. Exactly. Um, interested in, well, I'm exactly the same as you. I'm, I was in Australia for the last three years and I'm in Indonesia now. So I have a cold shower and it's just like a ref- it's refreshing. Like it's just, yeah, right. it's just, it's just nice to cool down. But my, my partner, she's even now, she's just like, Nope, I'm not getting, I won't get in the cold shower. It's, it's just, it's just, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, like when you were playing around with those things and when you play around with the heat, do you notice anything with those two aspects to obviously as we know the health benefits of, of them, but do you notice anything significant in terms of your actual blood sugars or anything like that at all? With the, with the sauna in particular, I notice better sleep, which helps my blood sugars. Um, usually post sauna, I, I, I think I notice, so I've never quantified it. So I don't want to speak out of your line here, but it's, it's usually actually a little bit of a spike in my blood mm. sugar, just kind of, a little bit of stressor, even though you're getting the blood flowing, all of these great, amazing benefits. I think my blood sugar goes up a little bit, but then for the rest of the day, it's it's way better. Uh, so the sauna is probably my favorite thing uh, yeah. on the planet. Um, with, with cold showers, it depends on the cold, right? So I used to be really into ice baths and I was taking ice baths once a week or something and, and those will shoot my blood sugar up. But with the cold showers, they're not cold enough to see too much of a physiological effect. So I I can't really say whether they go up or down, but there are, there's a lot of research showing that cold stimulation uh, can lower blood sugar and help with insulin sensitivity. So I think it's probably one of these things I do every day that seems like, ah, oh, it's just part of my routine. That's probably helping me, but it, it's so far down into all the other things I'm doing now that I've, I kind of lost it or, or yeah, I course. can't quantify it. You, you can't know? quantify it. There's too many, yeah. too many, too many variables. That's it's right. interesting. Interesting that you say, um, your, your short, the sauna has a big impact. Number one, we know that when you get when to initiate sleep, we have to drop the core body temperature by one one degree centigrade. So if people are, are struggling to get to sleep in in warm weather, they're often it's a paradox that you're often told to have a hot shower 
because agree, in the, yeah. to respond, the body has to try and cool down. Now, when you cool down, it means that you're going to get more uh, deep sleep or stage free sleep, which is when we actually have the pretty much the, the highest level of parasympathetic nervous activity and we have the increased release of growth hormones as well which is obviously um having an impact on how the body can utilize insulin and those sort of things so it's interesting that the sauna does have an impact on your um that you found the most benefit from whether that's quantified or whether it's just subjective um subjective yeah yeah it it makes sense it's interesting what you said too because i think about that a lot with the cold showers and then and hot shower before bedtime. And I think that's one really interesting thing about breathing that uh, it, it's almost counter to that. Cause so when you have an environmental stimuli, say a cold shower, your body responds by heating up just like, and then just like you said, sometimes counterintuitively, if you're hot, they tell you to take a hot bath and your body will cool down. And so I always wondered, well, how does breathing, you know, breathing is from within. So you actually slow down your breathing and it calms everything down. You speed up your breathing, it speeds everything up. So it's kind of a a reverse of an environmental stimuli. And so you can use these tools to go into environments such as a cold shower Mm. and, and control the response because you're taking over from within. And so that's where, uh, yeah, you can go down some crazy rabbit holes with breathing. Say if you sit down, if you go to take a shower, you can do certain breathing to help out or in the sauna, you can do things to help out. So it's a, it's a really fascinating way of incorporating it into all of these other practices too. It's, uh, it is, it's, uh, it's amazing how, um, uh, you know, the crossover between, uh, psychology, physiology, uh, the ability to control the internal external. It's like with the benefits of, um, of the cold, like if you shiver, it can increase fat loss. Whereas if you try to with, withhold the shiver, it's more increases mental resilience. It's like, it's just changing that That's frame, right. <laughs> frame very slightly. And it has a whole kind of. Uh, different impact on how it works and the physiology and that's a, it, it's where sometimes where science is challenging to to look at just one study and look at the studies because when we know like okay we can quantify external measurements and we can quantify how someone's doing a certain uh, procedure but how do we know internally what they're doing like how do we know they're not trying to withhold the right. stress or uh, so it, it's that's why i think we so we see so many into individual variability with with practically everything especially breathing you know there's there's so much where you said earlier like intermittent hypoxia can can cause stress and can cause improvements in blood sugars and others it's probably due to that yeah and i think that's my absolute favorite part about breathing is that you can read the science so you can read a scientific paper but then you can apply it immediately like right now anyone listening to this can try to tape their mouth at night. And if they sleep awfully for two, you know, try for a few days. And if they sleep terribly, then, then don't do it. It's not right for you. Probably, you know, like it doesn't matter what the science says. If you, if you don't sleep better, that's all that matters. And so with breathing, you know, it's like that with diets, with everything, but breathing is the most immediate one where you can, you can implement it wherever you are, see how you feel and take, you know, the Bruce Lee style, take what works for you, discard what, what doesn't. And, and I think that's, what's so amazing about breathing research is that what you just touched on that we're all different. We all respond differently to different stimuli. And so just try it. There, it's not most breathing exercises don't hurt. You can just give it a shot, uh, see mm-hmm. if it works for you and, and take it, take it or leave it, you know? So I think that's a, a really fascinating part of breathing. 
And it's the the advantage of your building that awareness and that intuition as well. It's almost like you're you're going uh, well. It's the the interoceptive awareness, isn't it? It's that internal kind of like okay, I can I, I'm acknowledging the state that my internal body's in. I'm aware of it. Whereas so many people who are stressed you know, are not aware of it because they're so cognitive and they're so in their mind all the time. It, just sitting and breathing allows you to embrace that and build that build that into your body, which is obviously going to be fascinating when you've got uh, over issues that could be occurring at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where you get, you try to, you know, you, you get into the woo woo side of it where, cause you're, you're exactly right. And, and I think anyone who gets into breathing, whether it be for scientific reasons, health reasons, for spirituality, you, you end up on all sides of it. Cause you can't help, but feel that side of it too. You can't help, but feel the improvements in stress and all of the other resiliency and all these other things. So it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating tool for health. All right. Thanks, Nick. So uh, I know that you have um, the breathing principles. Uh, we've mm-hmm. touched, we've touched on them probably more in depth, like uh, going into your personal experience with them. Um, so maybe just as a bit of a conclusion, what are the principles um, and, and what would you suggest as a, I wouldn't say yeah, advice, for a, for a young diabetic who has just been diagnosed. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So I'm reading a bunch of papers. I came across kind of three common themes, which are common to basically all the breathing methods, everything you're going to read about breathing. And it's the, the first principle is breathe through your nose. Um, so we didn't talk too much about the nose, but I'm sure a lot of people listening have, have heard by now with James Nestor's book and all Patrick McCown and all these people putting out all this information. But the nose does so many incredible things for your breathing that it's the simplest, I call it the 1% that gives you 99% of the results. So just switching over to your nose is going to be the biggest thing you can do to, to help. So that's principle one. Principle two is, is breathe slowly. So when you look through all the, the literature, especially for diabetes, most of the, the published studies are slow breathing around five to six breaths per minute. That's where you're going to see improvements in the autonomic nervous system in oxidative stress in stress and anxiety in blood flow, insulin sensitivity. It just goes on and on and on. So, uh, breathing slowly, uh, with the diaphragm, you know, slow, deep breathing that can get complicated too, but you just start by, you know, putting a hand on your chest, the hand on your belly, try to make the one on your belly move and the one on your chest stay still and, uh, and you'll get most of the benefits. So breathe through your nose, breathe slowly. And then principle three is just to hold your breath. And again, the icing on the cake, uh, that's the one that uh, can have a lot of, you know, it does have a lot of benefits for, for example, insulin sensitivity for uh, immune function, which might be why things like the Wim Hof method are so beneficial for curbing immune response. Uh, And and then it's going to help with oxygenation because your spleen contracts, which is going to release more red blood cells into circulation. So there's actually a lot of really neat benefits with intermittent hypoxia training, but again, just do it safely, start really small. Um, And and the advice I have for most diabetics. So, you know, I get emails every now and then, and I kind of tell them the same thing. Try slow breathing at about six breaths per minute, use a, a phone app or something, something, make it really simple. And in two minutes, just try two minutes in the morning and two minutes before bed and just see how you feel. If you feel nothing, that's fine, but just see how you feel. And then if you're up for it, try the mouth tape because mouth tape is the, is my favorite because I, you know, if you think about it from like an investment standpoint, it's like a passive, it's passive income. You literally just put the tape on your mouth. You don't do anything else and you get 
all of these health health benefits without even having to try. So if you're into quick fixes or any of that, I guess mouth tape's the simplest one, but you also look silly and your partner might think you're crazy when you start. So just keep that in mind uh, and try it during the day first to make sure you, you know, you're comfortable with it and stuff. I was coming across uh, a, a bit of a paper the other day that was looking at ways to uh, demonstrate whether your nasal breathing capacity needs some kind of intervention or some training. And it was basically like if on a scale of zero to a hundred, how challenging would you say that your, your breathing feels right now, close your mouth, breathe for three minutes. If it increases to above 50 on that scale, you need some kind of intervention, which means mm, that okay. that might be a good indi indicator of whether someone's going to be uncomfortable using a mouth taper at nighttime and whether they should probably just practice nasal breathing first to develop the the capacity to breathe through their nose before trying trying that. So just to touch on, add on, add on top of what you just said there. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, I love that. And it's an, a use it or lose it, right? So the more you use your nose, during the day, the easier it'll be to use it at night and the more habitual it'll come become where, you know, I, now when I'm out exercising, it it's rare that my mouth opens. Uh, it, like I don't even have to try anymore. It's just, it's become a habit. So uh, it, it's one of those things, just, just try noticing it during the day. All of these things are going to really help open up your, your nasal airways and help you reap the benefits of nasal breathing. So yeah, that's awesome. I'd love to see that that test because uh, there's no good way of saying it. You know, there's no number. Uh, it's cool to hear there might be a number that might help us quantify it. So that's nice. Yeah, it was a very, it was, I mean, it was in a low impact journal, but I thought it was just a pretty cool, simple thing that people could do to practice. And um, so I'll send that over to you as well. Awesome. Um, all right. Thank you very much. I really appreciate this. So if there's anyone that wants to to reach out to you and start following your content, where can they find you? Where can they contact you? And how can they subscribe to the the, uh, the, the infamous emails that are going out every Monday? <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, my email is nick at thebreathingdiabetic.com. I, I respond to everyone who emails me. So please email me. I love questions and I love thinking about each unique situation. So send me an email if you have any questions. Uh, I'm, I'm on Instagram, the breathing diabetic. I try to post fun stuff there. As, as you know, it's not always, it's a little sciencey, but always I try to make it fun. And then the 411 newsletters is my favorite thing on the planet. Uh, just a, a free weekly newsletter, four thoughts, one quote, and one answer, which is the 411 about breathing. Uh, I try to connect modern science, ancient practices, all these things and bring them into a practical. What can you do today? Most of it is practical so you can apply it today in your life. So if you're interested in that, the breathing, breathing and you'll see a, a link to sign up. So yeah, I appreciate you signing up. Uh, I'm interested <laughs> to see, see what you think. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to do. So I, I love sending it out every Monday. It's amazing. It's amazing to see uh, how you've turned a potentially uh, demoralizing situation into such a passion, such a mission, such a purpose, and to see how uh, you know, it lights you up and how much you love to talk about it. So no, I appreciate that. Thanks a lot, Martin. Yeah, I appreciate it. All right. Take care. All right. Yep. You, Have fun in Indonesia. Yep. <laughs> see you.